following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to welcome you here, and if, uh, if you have your Bibles, grab them, and we're going to be in Genesis 16 this morning. Uh, if you're here, by the way, and you didn't bring your Bible, we'd love to let you borrow one of ours. There should be one around you, a blue one or a black one around you, and if you're here and you don't have a Bible, just grab that one and take it. Just grab it, take it, that one is yours. There's no strings attached. It's our privilege as a church to give away a lot of Bibles. So please take it if you don't have one. Uh, Listen, we are about to drop back into Genesis 16 and we're dropping into an interesting moment for Abram. This is not a highlight moment that we are about to drop into. And remember what we're coming off of. So last week we looked at Genesis 15, which was just this beautiful moment where God shows up and reassures Abram that I'm doing this, that I've got this. He makes this promise that he is good and he is going to make him a great people and a land and I'm going to do this. It was this highlight moment, if not the highlight moment for Abram. We got this picture of God saying, go outside, Abram, and look up at all of those stars. That's going to be like your offspring. And we read that Abram walks out, looks up, and and believed God, believed God, and, and God saw his faith, he saw it, and counted him as righteousness. That was, what a wonderful and beautiful text that was. A highlight of a mountaintop moment. Now we get to 16, where we come crashing off of that mountain into a valley moment for Abram. Uh, many refer to this as Abram's great fall. What we're going to see is this is a difficult moment. As we read here, I want to get us some context. So they, Abram and Sarah had left their home. They went in faith. They went out. Already God had shown up and made a promise to them. Already we've seen this. But here's the thing. They left 10 years ago. They had now been in Canaan for 10 years. Uh, Sarah is, is 75 years old at this point. And all of these promises, God gave them for kids. There's a clock, a time clock on this, Lord. I, I feel like we're running out of time here. I, I feel like you promised that we're going to have kids. Where are you? What should I be doing? What should you be doing, God. What are you going to do? You promised this, right? Now, where are you? Ten years. It's a long time. It's a long time, church. It's a long time. We're about to read these, this, this disappointing story, and there's going to be this temptation for us to look at them down our nose and go, huh, what foolish people. I, I They just are boneheads, they don't get it, where is their faith, they're crazy, when the reality is that the more time we spend with this, the more we see ourselves in this. The more we're gonna be able to relate to them well. I wanna start off by saying something incredibly obvious. Waiting is hard. 
waiting is incredibly difficult. Waiting on your food is hard. <laughs> but waiting on your God, now that is, that is un, that is just, that is hard. Especially when we see a window closing. Especially when we want to see something happen, when we want to see movement, and here we are, waiting. Waiting is hard, but we don't struggle with that, I know. But as we read this, waiting is hard. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. All right, pause. This is foreign to us. What we just read, thankfully, is foreign to us. We read this and go, eh, there's an ickiness of what we just read. And that's wonderful. Polygamy, concubines, those aren't common today. And that's a good thing. And we read this and we, we, we thank God that, that that is not our culture, but we need to understand something. In this text, that was the culture that Abram lived. This was the norm. Not only that, this was legal. Uh, literally written into law. So uh, I'm going to geek out for any history people in the room. Uh, we have found, been able to find so many things from this time period and before. Uh, and, and a lot of what we have been able to found is actually their laws, their codes, their, their, the, the actual laws. Uh, two of the most well-known, I'm going to reference them here because it's uh, strongly applicable is the Code of Hammurabi and the Nuzi ta tablet. I don't know how to say that, so I'm just going to fake like I know. Nuzi tablet. Um, and what they do is they literally record for us the laws of the land. Literally tell us about marital laws and, and, and literally speak into this situation. The reason I bring this up is I want to read to you something from the Nuzi tablet. Listen to this. If the wife bears children... The husband shall not take another wife. Praise the Lord. But if the wife fails to bear children, the wife shall get for her husband another wife from the land as a concubine. In that case, the wife herself shall have authority over the offspring. We saw this language of that I might obtain a child by her. As we look back at, at these laws, what we see is these laws were in action through Abram's life. In other words, Sarai's scheme, this crazy scheme that she concocted here was acceptable completely in the eyes of her culture. Totally and completely acceptable, totally and completely legal, this was common practice. It's important for us to understand that. And, and I want to say one more thing before we go for, further. We've said this before. This is, this is important, though. All throughout Scripture, many times in Scripture, uh, especially in the Old Testament narrative, 
we're going to come up on these, these stories where these morally questionable things are going to be happening. Sometimes they're not even questionable, they're just terrible. Morally, morally terrible things are happening. And what we're going to notice is the narrator doesn't say anything about it. And it's so frustrating. He doesn't condone it, but he doesn't condemn it either. It's like the, the narrator just kind of moves on, no comment, just leaves it. And, and here's the temptation, and this could be really challenging for us as we read God's word. We could fall into this temptation of thinking, well, since the narrator didn't say anything about it, since the narrator is neutral, God must be neutral. Don't. Don't do that. I encourage you to guard yourself against that because other scripture is so clear on some of the things that are left neutral in some of these stories. Other scriptures speak so plainly about these things. So in other words, Sarai's scheme here might have been and was acceptable and right in the eyes of the culture, but it was not right in the eyes of her creator. Already in Genesis, uh, Genesis 2.24, actually quoted again by Jesus in Matthew 19, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. See, God's beginning, God's plan from the beginning was marital faithfulness between a man and a woman. And Sarai's plan was out of step with that. And, I, and I, I think this is a good time to just draw something out of this. And that is that our high authority is God and his word. Not what our culture says, but God and, and his word. Our great questions are not what does the culture say is okay? What does our world think about this? Well, then that must mean it's okay. Our great questions are or not, is it lawful even? If it's lawful, then maybe that's okay. No, we saw that in 1 Corinthians already. Uh, our great questions are not, is it socially and culturally norm? I want to say, church, I want to say this. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I'm going to say this a couple times this morning. My fear is that we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, we who love him and have given ourselves to Jesus, my fear is that we too often make too much sense to our unbelieving world. That too often we just make too much sense to our unbelieving world. Think about this in, in here. Sarah's scheme was a worldly scheme, and it made perfect sense to her neighbors. It made perfect sense to her world. It made perfect sense to her culture, the unbelieving world around her. Yet it was counter to God's design and God's plan. Church, we, like Sarai, we can look all too much like the unbelieving world around us. We can make decisions like they do. We can live our lives exactly the way they do. We can look just like them. And when that happens, we must, we must use that as an opportunity to just stop. Just stop. 
Because here's the, here's the reality. So often, we can live out God's promises, all of those things that he says that we're to do in life, where we could live out God's promises with the world's methods. We can live out God's promises just like the world. In church, his ways are good, they're perfect, they're right, and and he is concerned about the ends and the means. Our God is faithful to fulfill his promise, and he cares about the way the promise is fulfilled. Let us learn from Sarah and seek him and fight that temptation to live out our Christian lives just like the world. Let us fight against worldliness. And and I want to I want to say something that, again, is a little obvious. Sometimes it takes more faith to wait than to act. Sometimes it takes more faith for us to wait patiently for our Lord than to act. Have you been there? Can you relate? How many foolish things have been done in the name of the Lord by saints who won't wait? How many times we believe in the outcome and then we start filling in the dots with our our own efforts. When God is silent, we, we say truly foolish things like, well, God helps those who help themselves. No! God is good to those who believe in him and wait patiently for him. The reality is that when God is silent, in that moment when God is silent, we are often at our most vulnerable moment to do something stupid. That's the moment. We need to check ourselves in those moments. So often we can do things. We try to justify it in the world's standards as we try to accomplish God things. We try to accomplish God things our way. It's nonsense, but we do this so often. And sometimes waiting patiently for the Lord is the single greatest, the single greatest step of faith you can take. I want to say this again. We're going to come back to this. But sometimes waiting patiently for the Lord is the single greatest step of faith that you can take. Now, for a moment, I want to back up off of Sarai here, and let's drop in on Abram. Uh, Let's look at his response. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Listen, this whole thing, it's ugly. It really is. Uh, Hagar here was victimized. She doesn't really have any say in this matter. She was taken. She was given like some commodity. This is ugly. It's, it's disgusting. But like I already said, it's Sarah taking matters into her own hands. And, and let us just consider Abram here, though. Oh, passive and puny. And he just abdicated his responsibility it's, it's tough to even read. A lot of commentaries, like I said, call this the great fall of Abram. And it, it's because it parallels so well Genesis 3. If you think about it, Sarai's act, action parallels Eve's. So Sarai took Hagar just as Eve took the fruit. 
Uh, Sarai gave Hagar to Hagar to to Abram, just as Eve gave Adam the fruit. And here it's the same language here. And Abram listened to his wife, just as Adam listened to Eve. And in both cases, Adam and Abram, both of them tried their best to be passive. Neither one were. They were active and they willingly and knowingly partook in it. This is in so many ways Abram's fall account. Uh, listen to this. So verse 4, this is really interesting. Uh, he went into Hagar. She conceived. And when he saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that, that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, we read this and we think, what? Sarah here is, is upset with Abram. What right? It was her idea. How could she be upset with Abram here? But in so many ways, she's right. This was on Abram. Although Abram tried to be passive. He tried to be passive with this whole thing. He was active. I want you to think about this. Abram was the one to whom God spoke. Abram was the one who God spoke to directly in those days. Not Sarai. Abram. Abram was the one who was brought in communion with God. He was brought in communion with God. He spoke to him, and the Lord responded back, not Sarai, Abram. Abram was given as the head of this home, and when Sarai looks at him and says, may the Lord judge between us both, she is absolutely right to be hurt in this moment. Absolutely right. And we need to see that even in this moment, as things are going and unraveling, even in this moment, Abram still does not actively step up, does he? He remains passive. See, instead of saying, I'm sorry, you are right. Instead of taking his wife and assuring her of the love he has for her, instead of taking his wife and, and, and assuring her she is still his wife and he still loves her with all his heart, and instead of Abram assuming now responsibility for what he had done, working actively to resolve it. Here's what Abram says. Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Even, would you notice that even in this moment, Abram now doesn't even use Hagar's name. A commentator really pointed this out well. It is so much easier when you depersonalize those who you abuse. Servant girl, take her, do what you will. Again, this is, it's, it's gross. It, Abram doesn't repent. He doesn't seek God for God's wisdom. He doesn't seek forgiveness from Sarai. He doesn't seek forgiveness for, for Hagar. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, here's what, he, what happens. Just like Sarai did, Abram decides instead, I'm going to hide behind the laws and the customs at the time, and that's going to justify me. So here's what he does. I referenced those laws, those tablets earlier. The other one was the Code of Hammurabi, which sounds like it should be on a movie or something, but um, the Code of Hammurabi. Here, Abram, I want to read 
a line from this because here what Abram's doing is literally hiding behind it. All right, here, here's what it says. If a concubine claims equality with her mistress, that's what was going on, looking down on Sarah, right? Because she bore children, her mistress may demote her to her former status and do what she will. And that's what happened. Abram abdicated his responsibility. He hid. He was passive. And, and he just weasels out of this. A commentator puts it very succinctly. He was pathetic. He was passive, impotent, and uncaring of either woman. The church, we have been saying this all throughout Genesis. We are in the middle. We are looking at a grand story unfolding, God's grand story unfolding, and we are looking at the way that we are fitting into that grand story. And here's the reality. Even though Abram and, and, and Sarai are prominent characters here, let us not, please let us not miss the main character. The main thing that, that is happening here, the main character here is God showing himself faithful. The main character here is God showing us that he has a plan, that his plan is good, that he is perfect in love and in power, and he gives grace. That is what's on display here. Um, we would not read this chapter correctly if we didn't step back and see how God's plan is unfolding here. L listen to this. Even though, even through this foolishness that we've just seen, here's, here's, here's what what we read, verse six, into verse six, then Sarai dealt harshly with her. She fled from her. And as she flees, as she runs, the situation is messy and it's, yeah. And in that gross and painful mess, God intervenes. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, listen to this, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? This was God's plan. And we read the, and we think, how on earth could this be your plan? This is messy, and here you are blessing it. This was a mistake. This was a result of sin. This couldn't have been your plan. Church, let us just realize something. Um, one of the most amazing things about our God is the way he takes our mess. The way he takes our mess, the way he takes what is painful, the way he takes the struggle, the way he takes the things that we think are just way too messed up for him to use. He steps in, he shows up, and he shows us that his grace is more. Here in this, this, this is what is on display here. God shows up, he intervenes and cares for Hagar. He shows up, he intervenes, and he blesses Hagar. He shows up and delivers this blessing and this promise. I want you to think about this for a moment. There are only three who received, well, not including Hagar, three others who received this kind of promise from the Lord. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and Hagar. She 
from the most unlikely circumstance, messy and painful, receives this promise, and she's the only matriarch, the only woman to receive this kind of promise from the Lord. In other words, Hagar was an honored woman. God, our God is incredible, and he makes beauty from ashes. He steps in and makes beauty from the mess. His plan is perfect, and his grace is more. That's what's on display here. Our God is good, and that's the God that we serve. I want us to think about something. As we read any story, any narrative, but especially ones like this, we are most naturally going to relate to one of the characters. In other words, we're going to most likely put ourselves in one of these characters' shoes. We've already done it a little bit with Sarai. We talked about how we relate to her, taking matters into our own hand not waiting for the Lord, um, but instead trying to accomplish things through worldly means. We talked about that. We, we did the same with Abram as we related to him, as he passively stepped back from his responsibility, um, not waiting on the Lord again, not seeking the Lord, and not seeking forgiveness when he acts like a fool. We've put ourselves in their shoes, um, but I believe this morning that some of us in this moment need to put ourselves in Hagar's shoes. Here's the reality. So many times in life we are wronged. So many times we are victims of things that are outside of our control. When life just hits us across the, the cheek and, and we are there and we're on the wrong side of this, there are times when we get hurt, when we experience things that we cannot even understand, when it would be easy to feel like we are alone, when it would be very easy to feel like we are forgotten that our God has left us and that we are just abused and on the wrong end of a really difficult and a painful situation. Church, let Hagar's story remind you that our God has not forgotten about you. That our God is present in the mess. He's present in your mess. That our God's grace is more. Here's what struck me this week is that our God has this perfect plan and, and, and because of sin this plan has made all kinds of messy and our God is perfectly gracious even in the mess and he intervenes I am grateful that our God intervenes I am here this morning because our God intervenes you are here this morning because our God intervenes in the mess and for all of us who can relate to Hagar our God intervenes. Listen to this, verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. By the way, that literally means God hears. God hears. So call his name God hears. Why? Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. That's fun. That's, I wish I had time. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all of all his kinsmen. And, and listen to this. Don't miss this. Verse 13. So she called. Oh, I love this. The name of the Lord who spoke to her. Listen to this. You are a God of seeing. 
For she said, truly, here I have, been seen, I have seen him who looks after me. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Church, Hagar experienced something here that not many have ever experienced. Even in this mess, Hagar was a truly blessed woman because she was brought into communion with God. She says, you are a seeing God. You see. You are the God who sees me. You have seen me. You have heard me. And more than that, I have seen you. I have seen the God who sees me. Now, we say a lot around here that true community is to know and to be known. To truly know and to truly be known that that's community. To see and to be seen. And church, this is exactly here how Hagar describes the God of the universe. He sees me, and I have seen him. God intervenes and brings Hagar close to himself. That is beautiful. Let, let me just remind you, church, this is our God. This is our God who intervenes in our mess. I'm reminded of a song that we sing here. It says it well. I want to read the second verse. It says, What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise God for that truth. That he is a God who intervenes into our mess. The mess that we caused that our God intervenes. There is no greater point in case for this than Jesus Christ, who God literally coming down, putting flesh, dwelling with us. To say it another way, God literally stepping into our mess so that we can be brought out of it. This is our God. He was sinless and perfect and he took our sin. He gave his life so that the perfect plan of the Father would be accomplished and that broken sinners would know his love. This is grace. This is mercy. This is our God. His mercy is enough. His mercy is enough for all of us who are Abram, all of us who are Sarai, all of us who are like Hagar, and for all of us who are at times all three put together in one. His mercy is enough, regardless of the mess that you are currently in. Because he's the main character of this story. His glorious plan is unfolding. And we just get to be caught up in that. And this is why I want to I continue reading the lyrics of this song. Verse 3 says, what riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a, death, a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. This song rightly points us to the plan. That pointing us to Jesus Christ, this is the gospel. So come, all you Abrams. Come, all you Sarais. Come, all you Hagars. Come, all you who are a mess. Come, all you who are in a mess. Come, his mercy is more. 
This is the grace of Jesus Christ, and the way that we know this grace is through faith alone in Christ alone. This is why Abram, that Abram, was counted by God as righteous. That Abram stood before God and was counted as righteous because of his faith, because he believed. Church, do you believe in the good news of Jesus this morning? Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe in him? Come to him this morning and respond to faith in faith this morning. Here in a moment, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna pray, we're gonna sing, and I wanna invite you to respond. And there's no hocus pocus. This is simply an invitation here in this moment to pray to your God who hears you and loves you just as he heard Hagar. Come to him in repentance. It's our hope. And I wanna read the last refrain of our of that song praise the lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more praise god for this truth his mercy is more even in our mess um, as we finish chapter 16 i want us to consider two things this morning first abram and sarah believed in god for the ends they believed in the promise. They believed he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And regardless of that belief, they operated just like the world. Regardless of that belief, they took things in their own hands. In other words, they believed in God. They trusted in him for the ends, but not the means. They trusted in him for the promise, but not in the steps to get there. And church, if we're not careful, we could be exactly like that. Believing in God for our future salvation and living our life like a functional deist as though God is not here and not present and does not care. I know that sometimes, church, it is easier to trust God with the, our eternity. It is easier to trust God with our eternal salvation in heaven one day than it is to trust God with our job than to trust God with our kids, than to trust God with our finances. See, we, like Abram, sometimes it's easier to trust God with the big than it is the small. Too often we, we can believe the lie that our God cares only about the big things. As long as you're there with him in eternity, you're good. Too often we believe the lie that our God is burdened by all these small things, that they're too small for him, that the mundane is really not his thing. Too often we believe this lie that he doesn't see and that he doesn't care. That is not the God of the Bible. Now, I, I do want to be careful here because I am not saying that I want all of us to go out and look for God under every rock in your life and start having over-spiritualized conversations about what shoes you wanna wear for the day. I am not saying that at all. Please don't hear me. But what I am saying, and what scripture is so clear about, what we have to see here is that our God is near. 
Our God cares for you. From the big to the small, our God loves you and he cares for you. The God of the Bible is not a removed God or a distant God. He is a God who is near, a God who intervenes, a God just like Hagar says that we say, you are the God who sees me and I have truly seen the one who sees me. Let us just be a people who are characterized by faith, knowing that our God is near, that he cares for us, for the big and for the small, for eternity and your today. Second, just as it's easier to sometimes trust God with the big than it is to trust him with the small, it is often, hear me, this one stings, by the way, when I say this, just know it stings. It's often so much easier to act quickly in our flesh than just ask for forgiveness than it is for us to wait patiently for the Lord. It's so much easier just to go and do it. Just, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Church, let this be an example that there are consequences to those actions. There are consequences to those actions. And it's so much easier and so tempting to just run in our own understanding rather than than to just stop and just ask that the Lord would reveal and to show himself. Some of us, church, are in a season where we need to wait patiently for the Lord. That is not an attractive message to hear. Some of us are in a season where we need to wait patiently for our Lord. Waiting can feel like a lack of faith. It can feel like inactivity, and it is neither. The truth is that some of the greatest acts and measures of faith is seen in those who are waiting patiently for our Lord. What would have happened if Abram would have waited patiently for the Lord? rather than taking things into his own hands. What would have happened if Sarai would have waited patiently for the Lord instead of concocting this worldly plan? I'll tell you this, Genesis 16 would have been a lot less messy. I'm reminded of what David said in in Psalm 27. Uh, Psalm 27, he says, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of our Lord in the land of the living. In other words, I believe I'm going to see your goodness, not just then, not just later, but right now. I believe I'm going to see it. And here's what he says about it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is absolutely easier said than done. Wait for the Lord. Church, let us learn from this text and let us be quick to slow down. Let us be quick to slow down, quick to stop and to seek the Lord, to pray and then to wait, to pray and then to search his word, to pray and then to listen, to pray and then to pray. Let us be quick because again, some of the greatest acts in the Greatest measures of faith are seen in those who are waiting patiently for the Lord. As David said, that is where strength is. That is where courage is. As we wait patiently for the Lord. Knowing that our God is a God who keeps his word. Whether you're 75 years old, 
being promised a nation out of your womb, our God makes good on his word. My prayer is that our faith this morning, overall, that our faith this morning as a people would increase. Not only that we would believe in the Lord for our salvation and our hope, which praise the Lord, let's believe in him for that because that is sure, but that we would be a people who believe the Lord for our lives today, that we walk with him and trust him with everything. Don't take this the wrong way. I'll close and then I'm gonna pray, but don't take this the wrong way. I want your unbelieving neighbors to look at you and say they are weird. I don't understand why they make the decisions they make. I don't understand their values. I don't understand the way they spend. Why do they spend their Sundays the way they do? Why do they do this? Why do I want our unbelieving world to look at us as a separate and distinct people called by the Lord. If we look just like them, what are we calling them to? Let us be a separate and distinct people that don't make a lot of sense to the unbelieving world who looks at us so that we can give an account for the hope we have. Let's pray. Lord, you see us, you care for us, you know us. And through your son, you have called us to see you and to behold you. Lord, we are messes so often. We like to pretend that we're not sometimes, but you know us. We are sinners and we need you. Would you help us to understand that you see us, you have searched us, you know us, that we are known fully by our God and we are loved fully by our God. Regardless of our mess, your mercy is more through Jesus Christ. Would you help us to know to see that, to understand that. God, would you open our eyes to your gospel? And then, Lord, would you help us to better see you, to see and to know you, the God who sees and knows us? Would you increase our faith this morning? Would you help us to live our lives in that faith? Would you give us the courage to wait patiently for you? And would you give us the boldness to live a life of faith that does not make sense to the unbelieving world around us? God, you are good, and we celebrate that fact. We celebrate the fact that your mercy is more. In Jesus' name.